Welcome to The Open Word, the online teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry on today's episode. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. I believe what we see here, and I believe even what we see throughout the Word of God, you can actually be very, very intellectual and very religious and still be son of the devil and an enemy of all righteousness. Because any opposition to the fullness of the truth of the gospel message is playing right into the hands of Satan himself. People often look at the outward things to judge a person's worth and character, but God also sees what's in the heart. Today, Pastor David reminds you that intellect and religion will only get you so far with God. Instead, what God wants is a personal relationship with you. He desires your whole heart, mind, and soul. The truth of the gospel is simple. Jesus came to earth, died for you, and when you acknowledge this, you're saved. There is nothing difficult about it. Have you made a choice for Jesus? Now here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 13 as he begins his message, The Conflict of Intellect and Religion. in the book of Acts chapter 13. I, I listen to Alistair Begg uh, a lot. I really enjoy him. He's on a couple of times on uh, Grace 91.1 throughout the week. And uh, one of the things he said uh, several months ago, he was getting ready to preach, and uh, one of the things that he heard about years ago was that, Pastor, when you get up to preach the Word, read your text first. Read your text first. That way, if you drop dead in the pulpit, they'll get the most important part of your message anyway. So, uh, uh, Acts chapter 13. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger or Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who, was, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul to the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now when they had gone through the island of Paphos, or through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, 
withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, you will not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord. And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. We were looking at Acts chapter 10 and 11, and I shared with you at the conversion of Cornelius, you remember the the Roman centurion there in Caesarea, that that was a a pivot point, a a change of direction in the work and in the, the direction of the gospel. Cornelius, a Gentile, as well as his household and many of his friends that had gathered, had come to a saving faith of Jesus Christ as their Savior through the teaching of the Apostle Peter. Now, I shared with you, again, as we went through that, that that conversion of that Gentile, that Gentile that had major influence, uh, not only with his family, but also with the community, was, uh, I, I believe Luke was showing us that the direction from the gospel primarily going to the Jew first, then to the Gentile, this becomes a time of swinging it over and the gospel emphasis primarily moving toward the Gentiles. Now, this hasn't taken place completely at this point yet, but it is a great portion of the beginning of that change. Now, here in chapter 13 of the book of Acts, we see, uh, uh, again, we, we looked at it a couple of weeks ago, uh, those very beginning verses, verses uh, 1 through 5, and I shared with you, there was a, it was a call to mission. Uh, and I ask you, are you on mission? Not are you on a mission trip, but are you on mission? The reason, the purpose that God has given you breath, the reason that God has given you life, the reason that God has called you to himself. Each one of us have a mission that God has called for us, a purpose while we're here sucking air that God wants us to, again, be doing for his kingdom. And so we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. We also looked at how the Holy Spirit had called Barnabas and Saul to be set apart for that special task that the Lord had for them and how the church leadership there in Antioch, even as we read this morning, having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and then they sent them away. And also how they also had John, who was also known as John Mark, as their assistant. Now, verses 4 and 5 there tell us that they left Antioch in Syria, and they first traveled to the coastal city of Seleucia, and there they boarded a ship to sail to the island of Cyprus. Now, Cyprus is about 75 miles out in the Mediterranean Ocean off the coast of uh, Syria and Lebanon. Cyprus was also the home of Barnabas, so he's kind of like going back to his home territory. Luke tells us that as they landed, they landed in the city of Salamis, uh, and Salamis is a city that's on the eastern shoreline of Cyprus, and Luke is very clear to tell us that they preach the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. Still, the word going to the Jews first here. Now, nothing else is stated 
as far as the response to that preaching in Salamis. What happened when they went to the synagogue? We really don't know. We don't know if anybody believed, if many believed, and no one believed. We just don't know. Salamis seemed to be just kind of a part of the progress of going to finally the city of Paphos. Now, Paphos, the capital of Cyprus, on the whole other side of the island of Cyprus, about 88 miles if you were able to fly there, but they weren't able to fly there in that day and time. Today, if you were to drive from Salamis to Paphos, it would be about a 125-mile drive. The issue that we run into, though, is Cyprus is a very mountainy island where the path was at the point in time of Saul and Barnabas and their team as they went and ministered. We really don't know. Probably at least 120, 125 miles that they had to travel on foot through this mountainous region. Probably took them uh, over a week to get there. And as the missionary team arrived there at the city of Paphos, they had the opportunity to share. As soon as they began sharing, suddenly this opposition came uh, against them. And isn't that true in, in our lives? We want to be able to share the truth of the gospel that's real and true in our lives. And the enemy is always sticking something there that's going to be a conflict, that's going to be a bit of a barrier. Well, at, at this point in time, there in the first century, as I said, Paphos was the capital of Cyprus, and there in Cyprus, the, the proconsul of the, of the Roman Empire there was a man by the name of Sergius Paulus. Now, Sergius Paulus, Luke is very clear to tell us that he was an intelligent man. Why would Luke bring that point out? He was an intelligent man. Bear with me, put that in your file, because that's going to come into the message The problem, though, with Sergius Paulus at this point in time is he had in his company a man by the name of Bar-Jesus, or Son of Jesus. Now, you need to understand, Jesus was a very popular name during that time. It has nothing to do with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. No, his name was Bar-Jesus, Son of Jesus, Son of uh, Joshua. Now, Bar-Jesus was also called Elamas. Now, Elamas uh, is, is an Arabic word. It's probably translated to you or for you in your Bible that he was a sorcerer. Some of you might have a translation that says that he was a magician. A few might have wizard. The translation of the word Elamas actually in the Arabic could say that he was also even a, a doctor. Now, there's one other thing about the translation of that word that I want to bring to you today, and this becomes kind of a major point to me, and and it's what jumped out to me. Elimas is the very same word uh, when it's translated. It comes from the Greek word megos, M-A-G-O-S, megos. The only other place that we see megos in the New Testament is in the book of Matthew. And remember in the book of Matthew... They were Magos that came to see where the young child was. We saw his star in the east. The Magi, the wise men, the Magos. This is the very same word that here is being translated as sorcerer. Now, when we look at Matthew's gospel account of the Magos, of the wise men, of the Magi, we we, we certainly don't consider them to be demon-possessed. But what we do know about the Magos, about the wise men, was that they were highly intellectual. They were extraordinarily well-read. 
They were students of many different religions. They were acquainted and knowledgeable of the sciences of the day, and in particular, astronomy. We saw his star in the east, and remember, that's why they came. They began looking in their holy books and realized that a child was to be born as the king over Israel. They were familiar with all of these things. That's who the Magi or the Magos was. Well, Elimas here... In chapter 13 of the book of Acts, the Greek word there is, he was an elimas. The translation as sorcerer, I believe that many of them kind of pulled from what Paul later says to him about being a son of a devil, but we'll look at that in just a moment. With this in mind that elimas might have been, and I believe that he was, a very intelligent, highly studied individual I look at that, and I think that that very position that he had with Sergius Paulus was probably as a counselor on a variety of different things. I, I fully understand that Luke says that he was a false prophet, and we'll get into that in a bit. But when the missionary team arrived, Sergius, the pro-counsel, remember, he was an intelligent man, he sought to hear the word of God. He wanted to hear the truth of the gospel. But then Luke tells us here, but Elimas, the magos, the wise man, I'm going to pull away that word of sorcerer. That's a translation. The Greek word is the magos. He withstood them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Now, bear in mind also that Luke is very clear in telling us that Bar-Jesus or Elimas was also a Jew. And it would do us really good to remember that that Jews, by and large, they stayed away from things that might be considered magic or sorcery. Elsewhere in Acts, we find of Simon the magician, a Jew who was a magician. The actual word there is not magos. That's, that's the Greek word pharmakia. Totally different word, totally different direction at that point in time. Most Jews stayed away from idolatry or anything that would uh, be even considered uh, magic or sorcery because it was too close to that idea of idolatry. And they had been healed of that during the Babylonian captivity. Israel never went back into idolatry after that point in time. But it seems as though the translators calling Elamas a sorcerer comes like from what I said in verse 10 when Paul says, you're the son of the devil. And you're an enemy of all righteousness. But I want to also submit to you that in the gospel accounts, remember Jesus dealing with the Jewish leadership that were, again, hindering the gospel, hindering the message, keeping the message of the gospel to come to the people or trying to do that. Remember what Jesus told the Jewish leaders in that day. He said in the book of John to these Jewish leaders, you are of your father the devil. Sons of the devil, you're of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father, you want to do. And then in addition to that, the Apostle John in his first epistle in chapter 3 of 1 John, he writes, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And then down in verse 10, he adds on, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. 
Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Guys, what I'm trying to say here, what I'm trying to get a, the point across here, is you do not have to be into black magic or sorcery to be a son of the devil. You don't have to be doing demonic activities to be a son of the devil or an enemy of all righteousness. As a matter of fact, I believe what we see here, and I believe even what we see throughout the Word of God, you can actually be very, very intellectual and very religious and still be the son of the devil and an enemy of all righteousness. Because any opposition to the fullness of the truth of the gospel message is playing right in to the hands of Satan himself. We need to understand that. We need to see that. Because even today, there's many. Even within the structure of what we would call the church. There's many who are right now being used by the devil because they believed in and stand more for the idea of man's intellectual knowledge over having faith in the word, the work, and the hand of God. When man makes effort to take God and or his word out of the picture, and in particular, when that individual or that group becomes a stumbling block to those who would come to faith in Christ, they fully become an enemy of righteousness. They are themselves becoming, setting themselves up, or at least acting as sons of the devil. And as his sons, they're very busy going about their father's business, their father's evil business. Guys, whenever we as individuals or as a group, even under the banner of the church, through our human intellect or through our reasoning, we try to rationalize our sin. We try to minimize the perversity of the culture, dismiss the need of man to repent, make light of the consequences of God's coming judgment disregard the need for the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus, contradict the effects of his amazing grace, play down the miraculous, and give physical explanation to that which is obviously supernatural. Folks, we become the enemy of all righteousness. We become, we set ourselves up as children or sons and daughters of the devil. Guys, we see that so strongly today. Even from those that profess to be spokesmen or spokeswomen for the Lord as they fail to warn people of God's coming judgment. Right now today, one of the largest, country, largest churches in our nation. You will never hear Joel Olstein speaking of your need to repent. He'll never speak of the reality of sin in your life. He only wants you to have your best life now. And beloved, if that's what you're going for, that's all you're going to get is life now. And you'll have an eternity separated from Jesus Christ. If man does not recognize his sin and his need for repentance, 
The word of God says there is no salvation for that individual. As good as you can be, outside of recognition of our sin, our repentance, and our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. We see it in denominational movements. They, they've left the eternal truths of God's word in order to appease the culture. I can't believe it, but denominations, long-held denominations, that are taking votes as to whether homosexual marriages should be accepted, whether homosexual pastors or preachers should be allowed in pulpits. Beloved, you don't need to take a vote. You only need to read the Word of God. And when the church, quote-unquote, begins taking votes based on the mores of our secular culture, then we are trying to then conform the church to the ways of the world rather than impacting the world with the truth of the gospel. Guys, we see it in church leadership who feel they need to, to bypass God's truth and God's order simply because the standards of our society have changed. We see this in churches who no longer preach that reality of sin, no longer preach the idea of personal repentance. We see in pulpits men who have sold themselves out to the lies of the enemy in order to be people-pleasers rather than lovers of God. Some of us this past week had the opportunity to see the, the movie, The Moses Controversy. One of the things that came to me over and over in that documentary was the number of theologians, the number of scientists, the number of archaeologists and others who at one time in their life, they had had training and the teaching of an evangelical church. At one point in time in their life, they accepted the word of God as truth. But as they progressed in their education, their intellect lost sight of the miraculous. And they forgot about the reality of the supernatural. And in the words of God's word, in their wisdom, they became as fools. You need to connect with the fact that the Apostle Paul, he was, he was a well-educated man. Even he, he says that I was excelling beyond my peers. He was a guy that could debate the, the best uh, there in, in, in Athens, there on Mars Hill, as he stood there and debated the, the intellectuals of his day. But later on in his ministry, he would tell the church at Corinth, he says, I, brethren, when I came to you, I didn't come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And your faith that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. That's all we have time for on today's edition of The Open Word. 
Pastor David has been teaching through the book of Acts, introducing you to the early church and how they were radically changed by an encounter with the Holy Spirit. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to let you know how you can listen to more editions of The Open Word. Here's Pastor David. I'm so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word. As you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace, and love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. Would you like to listen to more of them? Well, just visit theopenword.com. You'll be directed to our Facebook page where we're adding all of my previous messages for you to listen to for free. Be sure to like and follow that page and feel free to share it with your friends. That website again is theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to take a moment before we close and ask you to consider partnering with us here at The Open Word. Would you pray for us and for our listeners? We know the enemy attempts to hinder the truth of the gospel from being spread. He will stop at no cost to prevent even one heart from turning to Jesus. Thanks for partnering with us in this, and thanks for listening to The Open Word. Do you live in Casa Grande? If so, we'd love to meet you. Come join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande on Saturday at 6.30 p.m. or Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Directions can be found at theopenword.com. That's all for today. Thanks again for tuning in and for praying for The Open Word.